Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody. I want to start today's podcast off with a story a story about the woman who's sitting across the desk from me right now. One day, three years ago, I took a deep breath and walked into an industry event. I hate networking, I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. But on the train ride to the event, I Googled how to network at an event. And <laughs> it told me, do not go up to a group of people, like three or more. They'll never talk to you. And said, look for the person in the room who's by themselves and say hello. So I did that. It was a CEW event during the um, networking hour before the event. I got my glass of seltzer with lime. And I looked around the room and I saw lots of little clicks. But then I saw one woman standing by herself. And I went over and said hello, and it is Deanna Utrusky. I think I said hello back. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Deanna is Senior Correspondent of Cosmetics Design. Deanna, welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. It's so cool to sit across the table from you now, three years later. Um, tell me what networking has been like for you in our industry. Oh, I, I kind of like networking in beauty. Um, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, as a writer, I make so many um, good connections for my articles um, and really find trends, you know, by having conversations with new people all the time. Um, yeah, so, and I, I have to admit, like, the longer I've been in the industry, the easier it's getting because um, I might still be standing alone, but now people <laughs> recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they know my picture from the website or they have seen me speak at an event. And mm-hmm. so um, we already sort of feel like we know each other in some way. And um, now I can't go to an event, you know, without making 10 new contacts. Um, yeah, it's good. Networking is good. Um, back then, three years ago, I like really had to force myself. And mm-hmm. this is actually at a time when you just entered the business. Yes. Right? Can you tell us about um, what life was before beauty for you and why you came into the beauty industry? Sure. I have always been a writer. I think I was writing before I could make letters on the page. I was drawing little lines to uh, imitate you know, letters or, or writing works. Um, so most recently before I was um, in the beauty space, I did a bit of work um, in digital publishing kind of similar to what I do for cosmetics design. So a lot of breaking news, a Mm -hmm. lot of um, fast-moving content, all digital. Um, And I've always um, really had a passion for the success of women. So a lot of my other jobs have um, had that angle to them, whether it was um, women's studies or something about film for women. Um, And I just, I found the opportunity to come to cosmetics design. I did not have a beauty background, but I I knew I was good at communicating to women. I knew I was good at writing for digital and it, it just worked out tremendously. And the industry has, has welcomed me terrifically. I, I was thrilled, um, you know, even at the time you first met me to be meeting other people who were just starting to read my articles and hear their feedback that Mm -hmm. I had a good sense that I was a strong observer of the industry, um, it's just the sensibility of beauty is is really magnificent. So it's it's a good place for me. It's so awesome because um, you are so open and so kind. And you know, back then I was really struggling with um, I don't work at Lauder, I don't work at L'Oreal. Like, right. where do I fit in this industry? And um, I think I I had kind of like a 
old worldview of the way our industry works. So this is, you know, the worldview of, you know, if you're, if you're at the strategics rate, if you're not poo poo for you. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know, you know, the tide has turned quite a bit and, um, independent brands and, um, entrepreneurial companies are really exciting now. But at that time was like, you know, really kind of in a, kind of emotional upheaval. Mm -hmm. Like, where do I fit in this world? Mm -hmm. I didn't go to college with Jane Lauder. Like, am I ever going to have a place in this industry? And it's weird to say that out loud, but it's like totally the truth. That's how I thought. So, you know, that moment in time is really significant to me because that's a time when I actually made an effort. Like, Mm -hmm. I really tried to go out my comfort zone and I met you and I just associate you now with all these beauty events. Like, whenever I go to CEW or IBE or FounderMate or any of these things, I think... Oh, I'm going to see Deanna. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. Hope that I'm going to see you and assume that I'm going to see you. And guess what? Yeah. I see you. <laughs> yeah. We often do see each other at events. And I think I think that's sort of a nice thing to hold in mind is that you are going to see your friends and allies at the events, but you're also going to see that new Deanna every time. Right. There's still going to be someone who's coming into the industry who might herself be a misfit. Um and it's it's a chance to, you know, find someone who's creative, find someone who is observing something fresh. And yeah, so I will be there. You can count on that, Jim. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, someone else cool is going to be there too. You use the word misfit. Do you feel like you're a misfit? Um, I think it's fair to say that I don't fit exactly anywhere. Um, but I appreciate that perspective um, more now than I used to. Um, I used to feel very awkward about it. But I think, um, I think it does, does give me like a helpful perspective to come from. Um, yeah, just make my observations a little bit more broad and a little bit more, um, I don't know. I mean, when people talk to me about my writing, you know, sometimes we all know what's breaking news in beauty. Everyone was on social at, you know, 4.30 in the morning (laughs) or scrolling through whatever to see what the headlines are going to be. But, um, I think being sort of a misfit, if you will, makes makes sure that my angle on the topic is different or the context I nest it into for my reader is a bit different. And, and people respond very well to that. So I, um, I'm learning to love being a misfit. I use the word fringe for myself. Mm-hmm. Like I feel very, always have, yeah. like um, loner, <laughs> um, any of these words. But um, I do think that there's a, a point of view that's really unique. Like when you're mm-hmm. not part, when you don't feel like you're part of that thing, yes. whatever that thing is, um, to w- watch people move through that thing. So it could be a business deal. It could be a friendship. It could be a romance, anything. Watch people move through these events and wonder like, where is, um, where's their handbook for this? Uh-huh. How, how did they learn <laughs> to do this? Right. And that's how I used to move through the world until, mm-hmm. you know, kind of really recently, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be 42 or la- later in this week. Like, I've been, you know, living my life really thinking that I was, like, totally fringe and wouldn't fit yes. in for quite some time. Um, and just in the f- past few years, that's sort of been mm-hmm. kind of, like, unraveling itself and I feel at ease and, you know, I feel really comfortable with who I am now. But it's taken a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that that's probably influenced our work at Base Beauty, too. Like, always really, like, striving for something different. Right, right. Um, well, I think I would I would connect your being on the fringe. I'll, I'll embrace that. You can be fringe, Jody. And um, I think that is probably part of what makes you such a strong creative professional. I think creativity sort of is a fringe space. Like you necessarily exist without that guidebook because if you only had that, that rule book that everyone might be following, you wouldn't see things in a fresh way. You wouldn't right. be able to introduce new ideas. So I, yeah, I think it's good. Oh, that's cool. I never thought of it that way, but I really like that. I'm going to latch on to that. Sure. So tell me, um, what were the kind of surprising things you learned 
early into the beauty industry and covering the beauty industry that really surprised you? Um, one of the things that still surprises me is um, what I like to think of as misplaced cynicism. There are a lot of different players in the industry who are invested really strongly in being correct in their own footing, whether um, it's a founder who you know knows what business should look like, or a scientist who knows what the truth is, mm-hmm. or you could pick any 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 position in the industry. Um, and people are are a little too quick, I think, to dismiss the other players um, and and are missing some opportunities for um, again creativity or innovation or collaboration or even more robust competition. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that we should all share our secrets, but um, but but people are are yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you suggesting that you've met people or brand founders or you know brands book seatball who are unwavering in the fact that they think they're the only ones and, and we're doing the best mm-hmm. and that there's like no room for anybody else? In a way, yeah. And I don't think I don't think I'm saying um, that like confidence doesn't have a place. I, I think like um, when I meet founders, um, especially with independent founders, like I have to I have to know that they believe their beauty brand, uh, you know, three hundred and sixty degrees, um, you know, every minute of the day. Um, but yeah, every you have to you have to be open um, to 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 other ideas. You have to at least be willing to consider them and not just um, you know dismiss um, other perspectives. Um, yeah, you know I'm I'm shy to give an example because no, I, I, I don't want to call out any of of my colleagues or or people that that we might know in common. But um, but yeah, I think misplaced cynicism is something that that continues to surprise me in beauty. So you know I. I on this topic, and maybe it's tied to what you're saying, um, I, I meet a lot of brand leaders who, especially the entrepreneurial ones, the very new ones, maybe they built their brand in the past three years, mm-hmm. that really don't have um, a strong sense of the competition and the competitive set. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering if some of that comes from what you're talking about, like, or what you're talking about comes from this, like, this idea that I'm the only face scrub. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'm the only face scrub with whatever oil, right? Yeah. Whatever oil harvested from wherever. Um, and, you know, our our job at the agency is to, like, you know, identify who, who really has it. Like, you know, and I feel like we, we have this sensibility. We can, like, just tell, like, the founder has it. Maybe the product line isn't, like, refined exactly yet, but, like, there's really some sort of magic here. Yes. But then there's a lot of other brands that, like, they just think that they're the only, you know, face scrub, face mud, whatever it is. Right. Um, and they don't even really consider the fact that the competitive landscape is really important here. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that there's something there? Like, it's, like, lack of education? Are you finding that the bigger brands who really know their competition are, like, you know, saying that there's no other way, we're the only ones? Yeah, I don't think it... Um translates out that far into company leadership. I think um, I think I see it more in um, in different distinctive roles. Um, so I, I think brand founder, especially like you're saying, in sort of what we might think of as the more naive level mm-hmm. of, of independent beauty, um, uh, I think it's fair to say I, I see this there. But I, I would say otherwise, I probably don't see it in leadership. I might see it in, you know, junior marketers mm-hmm. or junior chemists or... Um, yeah, people who who want to be right, you know. Wait, they want to have like swagger. Uh huh. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I mention it as something that surprises me. Surprises me rather because I do. I, I genuinely feel like it's it's tripping tripping companies up. 
um, are slowing progress um, and and sort of stunting innovation um, when people like hold really fast um, to their ideas. I wrote a piece recently about um, the fact that the terms sort of natural and organic rarely have meaning um, because it means so many different things Mm -hmm. to different people and and it's still really being defined by different regulatory bodies and what have you. But, um, you know, but there are some players in the industry who are only willing to listen to their own definition of organic Mm -hmm. or their own definition of natural. And they very much want there to be a consistent definition, but they're only willing to accept that if it's theirs. Right. Um, and I don't think, you know, I d- that's that's slowing progress, right? There has to be a community conversation and a discussion, and you're going to lose ground, and you might have to choose some new fancy terminology mm-hmm. for part of something that's, you know, very important to your work. But, um, yeah. I mean, that um, green and clean community which we service quite a bit and have great success um, working with. Um, It's a movement, right? It's not just a brand or a product, right? Um, And then I see people on the outside of that, you know, uh, brand leaders I've talked to, not necessarily clients who are um, really frustrated (laughs) by by the progress that the other side, right? It's become more, right? The other side. (laughs) And I don't think that any, um, anyone really set out to make this us versus them, Mm -mm. but there's um, resentment. I mean, I can hear it all the time. People, you know, are either straight up about it or they just sort of like weave it into conversation that there's a resentment from conventional brands towards the green and clean community for trying to push things and make things more difficult for them. Then there's the green and clean people feeling resentment towards the conventional community because they're not willing to embrace change. Um, and then in the middle of it is, of course, a really confused consumer. Yes, yes. And that's, I think, one of the things that really comes down to is consumer education. And that, um, you know, especially with marketing and advertising as it exists today, it is so soundbite-driven. It is so tiny. You really have to package your ideas in these in these little moments of words. And there's just not enough language there to educate the consumer as to what the clean and green brands are trying to do or what the more legacy brands have been doing. Everyone's interested in safety and well-being and functional products. Um, but there's just a lot of language that doesn't get to be articulated in our current environment. Yeah, It's interesting you bring this up because a few weeks ago um, in my inbox is like a PDF from some, I don't know, market research company about yeah. naturals. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. So I dove into it. I'm like, oh, my God, my definition of naturals oh. is so far from this company's that um, I don't see any of what I know represented in their work. Mm-hmm. And it was so startling to be like, oh, my God, like I am in this place and over here and there, all the way over here. And um, this is this is the problem that the consumer faces, that she just doesn't know what to do. She right. doesn't know if... If she wants to make a healthy choice for herself, she doesn't know what to read. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know what brand to trust. Um, she can only like hope, you know. Um, she can ask a friend, but it's really infant kind of level marketing in terms of how to reach her because mm-hmm. she is so confused with so many brands talking at her, with so many frustrating messages, and also like, oh, she has other things to do with her time. Yes, right. <laughs> how is she going to research all this? So. Um, yeah, I was really blown away the other day, and a friend of mine sent, asked me, oh, send me that deck. I'm like, it's not going to be useful to you. It's, like, so far away from where you are as yeah. a brand that, like, just the word natural doesn't mean anything that you know it to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, really, I was really surprised by that. Yeah. Um, I thought that 
as I'm learning, everyone else is learning. Right, right. That we're on this curve together. And we're really not. Um, it also just kind of reinforces how huge this industry is that, you know, I, I'm talking to, you know, 10 brands a day, and yet there's so many more that I've never talked to. Absolutely. They're using language in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see in um, the ways that these brands who are green and clean can do better in communicating their stories and their ingredient choices? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I want to just sort of continue on the line I was going with earlier, which would be like more language and more transparency. And we think, um, you know, the word natural or naturally derived or bio-based or, you know, extracted from XYZ flour is really clear, and it is um, in those spaces where those are the only words you can use, when it, when it is a really tight space, when you're writing your description on Amazon.com mm-hmm. or an e-commerce space and you need the consumer to keep clicking through, you know, and being succinct really matters, but I think offering more information behind it um, is just, is going to be most useful to the consumer who um, realizes that she's faced with this puzzle, right, and does have, you know, one one hour sometime this month to do a little bit more research. Um, having those resources ready on your website, I think, I think is really useful. And we're seeing that from, you know, big and small companies. Um, and, and so consumers are expecting to see it more, you know, now that um, Essie Johnson is listing all their ingredients, all their fragrance ingredients, mm-hmm. and they just unveiled recently an ingredient index. Um, so most of their products are in the home care space, but that consumer is shopping in of beauty course. as well. And so she's going to expect those resources, you know, from big brands in the, in the beauty space, as well as from the small brands, especially um, if she wants to make sure that their idea of natural resonates with her idea of natural. So do you mean, um, like, talk about not just the ingredient, but the why? Like, why you're choosing this? I think why you're choosing it, but I also think more about sourcing, more about supply chain. Um, I think we're starting to see... um, a sort of a, a leapfrog effect in this transparency idea that, yeah, we know it's natural and we know the ingredients came from this plant. And then um, there's a tendency to jump over the supply chain and get to this idea of, um, you know, sort of a, um, a social um, well-being brand mission um, and say, oh, but look, you know, the farmers in... Ghana are, you know, producing this, for, but, but I don't see the whole supply chain. I mm-hmm. might see, you know, a little story about the women who are producing one of your ingredients, and then I might see it on the store shelf, but what's going on in between? Because I think that's where a lot of question marks about naturals come up about, you know, how is it processed? How is it transported? How is it formulated? Um, a lot of that, um, matters in a way, um, that the people don't know about. The processing, um, is really important. I just read that, California is suggesting that aloe vera land on um, like a dirty list, basically. And I'm like, that's so weird. Why? Yeah. um, A friend of mine who's formulating products right now told me that. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, isn't this sort of like a very basic natural ingredient for like tons, hundreds of brands? So I reached out to a friend who's, um, you know, kind of the master Mm -hmm. of um, green and clean formulating. And her thought was that the... um, the aloe vera might be processed or like um, extracted mm-hmm. using an ingredient that like we've never heard of that we probably don't want to consume. Right, right. right. Um, and it just made it like, oh my God, this is so hard, mm-hmm. right? It is. It's very hard. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's what a lot of um, brands come up against, especially the smaller brands that, you know, have um, have really good intentions. Um, once they um, learn more about the ingredient supply chain and you know what currently exists today, they see how much work there is to do. Um, yeah, it can become quite daunting. Right. So as daunting as for me, somebody who like you know gets a lot of free product, imagine how daunting it is for the consumer, mm-hmm. right? Who mm-hmm. Um, has very limited time and interests. Most of them have very little interest in becoming an expert in this, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and so we see a proliferation of um, you know different seals and and different um, <laughs> credentials that you can add. Um, and I think that just comes out of the fact that there is no there is no right or wrong yet. We don't know what the consumer is going to respond really well to, um, and and the whole industry is still sorting it out. Right. So I'd love to shift gears. You are a senior correspondent, right? You're here to cover the news of beauty and beauty packaging and beauty ingredients. What is a a regular day in your life like at work? What does that look like? Sure. Um, There's as much reading as there is writing. Um, Because I do try to publish um, what feels like breaking news on cosmeticsdesign.com, I will usually start my day by trying to pick some of the best topics. Often I will have written something the evening before or the afternoon before, um, so that I don't have to create three or more stories before lunch, but <laughs> which might be impossible. Um, so, but I will I will be paying attention to you know what topics and and really trying to figure out what my reader wants to know or needs to know. Um, you know, there are, are articles that I choose to cover topics really that I choose to cover that um, you could end up finding on any trade publication that day, or you know we'll eventually see in some of the glossy consumer magazines because it's just so popular. I wrote mm-hmm. about Fenty Beauty the other day. Right. I mean, it, it wasn't revolutionary, but I wrote about it a few days after the launch, and I found an angle that I thought would really resonate with my readership. And that's and that's part of what I'm doing is not only looking for the topics, but looking at things that um, kind of need to be shared in this space. And my readership, it's so wide. I think. Um, it's interesting to think about who's looking at cosmetics design every day because it's, you know, it's as much the scientists and marketers as it is the brand leaders and founders. Um, it's it's everyone in between. It's people adjacent to beauty. It's you know support um, communities. Um, I, I mean, my readers just come from everywhere. So, so I really try to offer um, a wide variety of news. Um, so what was your side, what was your angle on Fenty that you thought this community would be interested in? Sure. I, I really took um, interest in the fact that um, for a celebrity brand, um, you know, it launched such a full range of SKUs and it launched um, in numerous countries in thousands of doors simultaneously. Oh, wow. I yeah. mean, it was, it was an unprecedented launch um, in terms of sort of like size, scope, and scale, um, and really rethinking what we think about as, um, you know, not only like entrepreneurial beauty or a, or a launch, you know, because it was, um, it was supported by the LVMH incubator, um, Can Do Beauty. Um, so it wasn't indie by any means, but, um, but just really um, rethinking, you know, what a beauty launch can look like, but also what a celebrity beauty launch can look like. I think we've spent enough years now um, dismissing celebrity fragrances, um, and celebrity color is really coming on strong. And the, the Fenty launch was ridiculously strong. Mm. Yeah, um, when you were talking about it, it made me think immediately of you know a Jennifer Lopez fragrance or right um, a Jessica Simpson fragrance right. or whatever the celebrity fragrances were when celebrity fragrances were a, a big big deal um, and 
maybe what we're seeing in color with like Kylie and Rihanna and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure dozens of others that I'm forgetting um, will be formulas that are applied to fragrance to try to stimulate some growth and excitement there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because the consumer is looking for more variety in fragrance. Is There's a lot more layering. There's a lot more um, event specific, you know. So, so I, th- I think that's possible. So, okay, day in your life, so you get to the office, or you ha- do you have to go to an event in the morning? Like, how, what does this look like? Yeah, it, it could be either or. Um, the first thing I need to make sure gets done is that the site gets published. So I usually will do a bit of writing, a bit of email checking, and I will publish the site generally around 11 o'clock here in New York City time. Um, I have a bit of leeway. Most of our readers come to the content through subscribing to our email um, newsletters. So those are um, paced out by my production team. My production team, mm-hmm. <laughs> my lovely colleagues, I should say. Um, and once it's published, then I can kind of take a deep breath. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I go to events pretty regularly, um, sometimes several a week, but always several a month. Um, so those I usually um, would try to get to in the afternoon. If it's something that I need to be to in the morning, I'll publish super early. Um, there's just a lot of writing. Um I, I do a fair amount of emailing, you know, whether it's with brands or founders or PR folks. Um, I run a weekly column called the Indie Beauty Profile, and that takes a bit of um, legwork in terms of um, sort of acquiring the content and the assets to have a, a photo accompany everything and, you know, um, keeping content coming in from, you know, they're essentially contributors um, because it's sort of an as-told-to piece. So I have to sort of keep a running schedule of that, and that has a lot of... Um, you know, reminding and nudging and, and keeping things on track. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a, a good sense of it. And is this a job someone can have and have a nice balance between work and their personal life? I would say, yeah, um, I think that's possible. I get caught up, kind of caught up in it sometimes because I really love writing. Um, I really, um, it's, it's sort of like a, a safe, enjoyable place for me to be. Um, and my company had an office in New York City for um, the first year or so that I worked for um, cosmetics design, but they no longer do. And so I work remotely, which means I'm at a cafe or sometimes I'm at my kitchen table. And um, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm really good at shutting down at six o'clock on the button and, you know, going out and seeing my friends and going to the movie or, you know, doing museums on weekends, what have you. Um, other times I just I just really get into it. Um, so, it, I mean, I think it... Um, it's not something that's so demanding that, you know, that I'm, um, I'm compelled to, you know, to reply to emails 24 hours a day or, um, or that sort of thing. But I do, you know, sometimes events also take me beyond sort of a typical nine to five day. Right. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being on your panel yes. at a packaging conference here in New York. And um, we had a really lively Q&A after the panel presentations, and we were talking a lot about um, what suppliers can do to make you know innovation happen mm-hmm. for small brands. Um, I you know no doubt that there's plenty of innovation happening at the large brands, you know CPG, Large Beauty, lots of innovation and money moving through those processes. But for small brands, it's really hard, mm-hmm. right? They're looking at stock components, they're looking at really short runs and mm-hmm. whatever deco they're mm-hmm. developing. What were your observations around um, that conversation and the questions in the room? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that um, especially the smaller brands really face challenges when it comes to packaging and what's available. And a lot of it has to do with the run size that um, that packagers require, the sort of, you know, the number of jars, the number of lids, or the, the number of um, pieces that have to be decorated. Um, 
and, and most brands, even if they're not launching, are running pretty small, you know, runs or not warehousing a lot. Um, I do feel like um, this conference that we were speaking at is is the first time I've really started to feel like um, suppliers are responding to that. Um, you know, and, and one of our audience members made a good point that responding to that takes investment, mm-hmm. right, on their end. And so I think... Um, you know, I think it just really speaks to the potential of independent beauty in the marketplace because um, the suppliers have now seen how well those brands are doing over the last several years and are responding by making that investment and now finally by making things available in smaller runs or, um, you know, companies that only offered luxury options um, to, to brands that could afford, um, a, you know, a phenomenal number of pieces are now creating stock items. Um, so it's an option to get, um, get product to market more quickly. Yeah, I, um, I was feeling optimistic during the conversation. Then afterwards, a few different vendors came up to me and they're like, we can do that. I'm like, well, what, really, what's the minimum for you? Well, usually it's 200,000, but we could do 50,000. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I think we really need to align expectations here that, yeah. you know, many of our clients, some of them who do very, very well, they really order like a thousand at a time. Like yeah. that's just, that's their comfort zone. That's what their cash flow allows. Um and it might be years until they increase that. Right. I, and I think that's a great point because we do need to actually like say numbers out loud. And, and 1,000 is really nothing for a lot of these suppliers. They, they wouldn't even entertain that. Because when I talk to suppliers that, you know, I'm excited that they're um, offering smaller quantities, you know, I probably heard two and a half or three companies right. tell me 10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt very optimistic about that. But that's still an enormous stretch, right? For yeah. a brand who is saying, oh, let me let me produce a thousand pieces of something. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of these smaller brands, these entrepreneurial brands, they're founded by people who are really looking to make choices outside of the way they used to live their life. So maybe they worked in corporate America, maybe for a beauty brand, maybe not. Um, and they start, a, they start their own business because they, they want to feel differently about their work, which means that they don't want to be so overwhelmed by overhead. Like maybe mm-hmm. they just like, maybe they don't have a take over the world kind of attitude about their business, even if it's a healthy business and they don't want to stress, stretch, stretch mm-hmm. their money and they don't want to stress themselves out. Um, so they don't want 10,000 pieces sitting in distribution center, hoping that everything just moves forward and that their retailers pick it up as promised and that the POs move forward. Uh, they don't want that stress. That's right. a lot of anxiety. So I think when we think about the um, kind of attitude of the founder, mm-hmm. some of them are for sure take over the world. Yes. But many of them really aren't. Right. right. They have no interest in scaling. Like you said, if they can create a sustainable business at a small scale, that's very much what they want to do. Right. So for anyone listening who's a supplier, <laughs> um, if you can be an alternative to Miron Glass for skincare, mm-hmm. where you'll find many, many um, prestige independent beauty brands are using the mirror on glass. If you can be a supplier that has options at low quantities with great deco abilities, different actuators and caps, you will have a nice steady business as Indeed Beauty continues to explode. Yeah, absolutely. So Deanna, tell me on our last question, what you do for fun. Oh gosh, fun. Um, that's a nice idea. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to go back to the museums on weekends sort of idea. I do art galleries and museums. Um, yeah. Are you an artist and a writer? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't attach the word artist to my name. I might have dabbled here and there, um, but I'm certainly not a serious artist. Um, I wouldn't call myself that. I'm very much a writer. I think that's very much part of who I am. Um, but I also, um, 
you know, I, I think I, I called you a creative professional earlier in our conversation, and I very much identify with that idea. Um, and I think, um, you know, creativity is, um, uh, it's, it's rewarding no matter how it comes. So it's, it's nice to, you know, look at art and, and have some ideas and experiences. I'm sure it influences my writing even when I'm not thinking in words. Yeah, I am. Um, I spend a lot of my free time watching Bravo. Yes. You know, like Below Deck, Real Housewives. So I'm sure that influences my work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deanna, this has been so amazing. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Jody. And for our listeners, please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, please follow us on Instagram at Base Beauty Creative Agency. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.